Okay. Hi, y'all. I'm Megan Griffin. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Megan. I'm going to cry so much. Oh, my God. Um, it's like right there. Uh, my sobriety date is August 8th of 2009. For that short period of time, I'm as grateful as I know how to be. Southside Traditions in Tulsa is my home group. <clears throat> I have a sponsor. I have women that call me sponsor. I'm so grateful for all of you. Um, and I am so honored to be asked to do anything in Alcoholics Anonymous, even if it's speaking. Um, <laughs> even if it's speaking at a women's conference. You know, um, I, like it has been shared all weekend, women were intimidating. You know, I thought I didn't like you when I got here, but I didn't want you to know me, and I was intimidated by you. You were prettier, you were smarter, you were, you know, braver, more energy, whatever it was, you know, whatever it was. And those are the things this weekend I'm especially grateful for because I may not even know you very well, but at some point I've seen you or talked to you. And as you walk by, God, I love her hair. You know, I love her energy. I, she has cute shoes, you know, what I mean, every, there is not anybody in this room that I don't like. And I am so grateful for that because that has not always been the case. Um, in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous. So um, thank you guys for everything that you've done this weekend. Thank you for showing up. Thank you to the committee. Thank you for everyone who did anything. Make coffee, open a door. I'm going to try not to hit this. Um, You know, help somebody else in any way. Like you, you made this weekend what it is. And it's really important to me. And I'm grateful that we get, to, we get to come together and do this. It's been a long time. <clears throat> um, thank you to the other speakers. Mickey, you badass you. Yes. <laughs> Krista, one of my new favorite people in the world. Um, just uh, thank you guys. Um, you're hard to follow, but I'm also really glad that I didn't have to go first. <laughs> Because I got to take in everything that you guys said. You know, I'm very full this morning of this beautiful weekend. Um, I'm, uh, I'm not anybody special in Alcoholics Anonymous. It's just my turn to tell you guys, you know, what I was like, what happened, and what I'm like today, thanks to a program of action and good sponsorship and a relationship with a higher power. Um, I, I'm from Tulsa. I um, had a pretty normal upbringing. Um, there's, you know, some weird stuff in my family, but none of it contributed really in any way to my alcoholism. I'm just an alcoholic because alcohol is my solution to life. Um, I have two older brothers. Um, you know, mom and dad were married until I was in high school. My mom did have some, some drug stuff before I was born. She's disabled because of it. But I, you know, growing up, I didn't even know that that's what caused it. And then I found out and I was pissed because they didn't tell me. They lied to me, you know, but she, she was speedballing and she um, had an aneurysm and um, she's paralyzed on one side of her body. And that's just, you know, that's just mom. That's just how I grew up seeing her. And I didn't think anything of that until I found out why. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, but also that became one of my lines in the sand, you know, I'll never do that because that'll happen, you know. Um, uh, I have an I have two older brothers, and my oldest brother um, probably was one of us. I don't know if he ever made it into a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, but um, 
at the age of 23, he was headed to court for his fifth DUI, and he had told my mom sometime before that that he just couldn't go to jail again. And the morning of that court date, he put a rifle in his mouth instead and um, took his life, and I was 16 years old. And um, so, you know, there's some stuff in my family. There's some trauma, there's some tragedy, and there's, you know, stuff I could drink at. Um, But I started drinking before that, you know. Um, My first drink also was at 12. And I was at a sleepover. And, you know, prior to that time, I can remember as a kid just not feeling comfortable in my skin, feeling like you guys all knew, you know, what to do with your hands, <laughs> like how to sit, in a, how to talk to people, how to, you know, like, and I just didn't have that. Um, and I didn't know what it was, but you guys had something that I didn't have. And when I got my first drink, that's what, that's what I needed. Um, I was at a sleepover, Um, I was in the sixth grade, and these girls were cool, you know, these were girls that I wanted to hang out with, and um, we got uh, Bartles and James wine coolers, (laughs) strawberry kiwi, and I got as much as I wanted, and the magic happened, it is cute, isn't it? Bartles. It did what it needed to do for me. And um, I was rapping along to this song, and I'm on the coffee table, and, you know, I'm one of you in that moment. And I need to feel that way all the time. I need that. I need to be okay. I'm not okay without that. So I sought out to do that as much as I could, which is not very often, but, you know, I can get a hold of cigarettes. And, you know, I was the girl who was the cheerleader who was also sneaking out around behind the school to smoke cigarettes and like rip the filter off so we can like really just you know (laughs) all of it um uh i would like change you know i tried cheerleading and that really wasn't a good fit that's not my crowd and so i tried palm squad and that's i don't fit in there either and um eventually i end up on color guard and you know like just nothing i'm high at every practice i just can't even you know, function. I'm running the wrong way. And, um, you know, me and this one are, are running around doing other things that have nothing to do with color guard. And I just couldn't find my people, you know, so I change my people and um, I run people off. And um, I'm always trying to find where I fit in and I don't fit in anywhere. I can't be with you. I can't be with me. I have no God. I'm not okay. You know, and I just increasingly want to be messed up all the time, all the time. If I'm not in oblivion, then I'm not where I want to be, you know? Um, So later in high school, you know, after my brother died, um, right before my brother died, I got my driver's license. And two weeks after I got my driver's license, I totaled that car. And um, my parents got me another one. They let me, like, drive, you know, somebody else's hand-me-down car or something. I didn't have a lot of consequences, you know. Um, I was saved a lot. I was babied. And um, not long after my uh, brother died, my home life kind of imploded. My parents got divorced. Nobody's watching me anymore. You know, I'm, like, trying to make it home by curfew. And, and, like, that stuff just doesn't even matter after that. Like, everybody's so absorbed in their own grief that I can just go do what I need to do. And... um, I ended up 
so we were uh, at a party and I discovered Jack Daniels that night and also sour apple pucker and they're not good together and I projectile vomited all over this apartment and like everywhere um, Sarah was she told me like a couple of days later that she was wondering if she was gonna have to like call my mom because she thought I had alcohol poisoning and we didn't even know what alcohol poisoning looked like you know so she's like, what am I gonna do um, but I made it home that night I don't know how I don't know if we've even talked about how but I, I do remember the next morning going out and looking at my car and like walking around my car like how did this even get here and finding my t-shirt crumpled up with dried caked vomit on it stuffed behind my driver's seat you know and that um, I'm just like all right cool like nothing really happened and the guy that lived in that apartment that I painted for him every surface we got engaged I moved in with him and he drank like I did um, until his drinking became a problem for me and then, you know, this is, this is not what I want either. You know, I don't want to be married and pregnant and barefoot and not being able to do what I want to do. So you got to go. You just got to go. And um, that was really ugly. Um, but he, he went and um, I was real crazy in Tulsa for a little bit. Maybe that'll come up in the fishbowl, but... Um, <laughs> And then I decided, you know, Tulsa's not going to work for me either. And I moved to Las Vegas. And, um, it was a good idea at the time. So um, I'm, in, I'm in Las Vegas for three days. And I totaled another car. Um, under the influence. And... Um, so I've got a roommate that had been my boss here in Tulsa. I was working in hotels, front desk. And my boss here in Tulsa had moved to Las Vegas. And um, she was like one of those really worldly people. She's originally from London. And then she had come to Tulsa because she had a family member here. And then she had gone on to Las Vegas. And I'm just like, that looks like a good idea. You know, let's just go live some bigger, Tulsa can't be it. And um, so I'm living with her. She was like, yeah, we can be roommates. And there's a spot open at this hotel. And, um, but I total my car right after I get there. I'm just a mess all the time. You know, I'm obnoxious. I'm under the influence. Around the clock, I've totaled my car. Now I'm a burden on this roommate, you know, like, need you drive me around and help me get a new car. And um, I start bringing guys into this apartment. It's just one bad news boyfriend after another. One had spiky hair, like, out to, you know. I scared her a few times with the people that were in that apartment. Um, and I, uh, I got really isolated out there, too, because, you know, again, I can't find my people. I can't find, you know, I, I'll drink with a group of people until I'm just too much for those people to handle. And they don't want to hang out with me anymore. And, um, so, you know, I had like the group of people that we worked at the hotel with and then, you know, I'm pissing them off. And so I'm finding other, I don't know where I find them, but, um, I turned 21 in Las Vegas. I had my 21st birthday living in Las Vegas. 
which sounds like it would be the most epic, best 21st birthday you've ever had. Um, I had one person willing to go with me that night. You know, I started drinking at home, and my roommate is like, okay, yeah, let's go to the bar, you know? And we get to the bar, and I'm just, I'm such a handful for her by the time we get to the bar. She's just got to take me home. Like, that's my birthday. Happy birthday. Go to bed, you know? (laughs) Get away from me. Um, So I started spending a lot of time drinking and playing on the computer. And um, up in the middle of the night, you know, Googling weird stuff. I was getting into some weird religious stuff. Like, I didn't know at the time. Like, I'm trying to find God or I'm trying to find something. There's got to be something out there to fix me. And I'm just drunk. And I'm like, (laughs) I remember, like, Googling, like, different religions that were, like, not the religion that I grew up with. Um, I didn't mention my dad is a... Um, former minister in the Southern Baptist Church. And my grandfather, his dad, is still an active minister of his church. And he's like 86 years old. So there's a lot of churching going on in my house when I was little. And uh, that can't be it. You know, there's got to be maybe something like that, but not that. There's got to be something else out there that's for me. And... um, So while I'm playing on the internet, you know, I'm also seeing if there's another hymn that can fix me. And I find one, and I meet him at a bar in North Las Vegas, and 10 days later, like, I'm pretty sure he came home with me that night and just never left. But 10 days later, we got married. Like you do. And because it's Las Vegas, you can. And um, so he's... Like, I think my roommate probably thought he was just, like, an extended stay, like a three-night stand or something. And when we're married, she's like, I got to go. And she just moved out. Um, It's probably best that she did. So, um, but there was some amends later about that. Um, But anyway, so we're married now. And um, I called my brother. Um, the one that's still alive, his name is Brandon. I called Brandon and, um, I'm like, I got married. Were you in the room with him? Okay. So I was told that he like comes out of his chair. Like he would have come through the phone if he could have like to who you're married to who, who are you even dating? (laughs) What is dating? Have you been taken on a date? I haven't ever been taken on a date. What is that? move in together Um, so uh, so my brother was a little pissed and um, I was imagining that probably the rest of the family was curious who this is so we're going to take a trip to Tulsa and we I've got to watch the clock my sponsor is going to tell me if I'm not like heading towards getting sober Um, so but it takes all of this for me to get there right uh so I, we, I bring him to Tulsa to meet my family, meet my husband, we're happily married. And um, while we were in Tulsa visiting my family, you know, we've been having these really intense talks over the time that we've known each other. You know, we just talk, talk, talk all the time, all night long, you know, and uh, big plans for our life together. And uh, a lot of what I talk about is, you know, I hate going to work. I can't go to work. 
you know? Do, I don't see you go to work. Do you go to work? What do you do? <laughs> he was on sabbatical. I don't think he had a job, but he told me that he was on sabbatical. Um, but I... Work was getting in the way. Um, it's really hard to drink the way that I drink and function at a job. And I had a pretty good job at this point. I was working at the Tropicana in the VIP room. So I'm responsible for checking in the high rollers and having their favorite drink ready for them and their room keys and everything that they need to go have a great weekend at the Tropicana because they spend a lot of money. I'm responsible for the bar at check-in, you know? Um, I'm not doing well. I'm not functioning very well at all. Um, so by the time I've got a him, you know, maybe you could just work. Like, can I not anymore? I've got other things to do. And um, so anyway, so while we're in Tulsa visiting my family, introducing my husband to my family, we get an idea that we talk a lot about. Um, and he seems to know a lot about and that is how to rob a bank. And um, so he, he just knows things like how long it takes when the teller hits the, how long does it take, Krista, when the teller hits the alarm till the first cop shows up if there's not a cop? See, he told me 30 seconds, and I was like, that's plenty of time. <laughs> you get in and out real quick. God, I could have done so much more. So, he said, top drawer only, loose spills so you don't get any die packs. You've got 30 seconds until a cop shows up from the time that teller hits the, hits the button. And I'm like, we can do this. I like the sound of this. And so, um, Crop Happies is a bar at 51st and Harvard in Tulsa, and there used to be an IBC bank. Yep. There's a back parking lot and there's a front parking lot, and I don't know why, but that made it make sense. Like, I could drop him off in the front parking lot and drive around to the back parking lot, and that seemed like the way to do it. It made sense to me. So we did. He did. I just drove. He came out with money. And I have arrived. <laughs> I don't ever have to go back to that job. We will just go to the bank when we need it. And go do what we need to do. Party on. And, um, and we did. Like, bottle service, VIP, jet club, at the Mirage, limos. I mean, just whatever. I don't know who we were hanging out with. We made a bunch of fast friends. Um, it was wild, you know, um, like rock stars, like, okay, you know, are we out of money? Let's go, let's go. And he would go in and I would drive. There's only four banks total, but we did like other Walmart or somebody just left their car and, you know, their key is on their tire and just other things, um, to get what we need. And, um, I cannot stress to you enough how much I loved it. Like, loved it. I am in this. This is what I'm doing. I'm going to do this until I die. I know I'm going to die doing this. I'm going to do this until I die. I'm good. Let's go. You know, because I'm suicidal anyway. If I don't have enough in me 
of what I need, I'm thinking about just ending it all. All the time. So I'm messed up all the time because that's the only way I'm not going to do it, you know, not intentionally. Um, if I could run my car off, you know, and it not be my fault, that'd be cool too. Yeah. Uh, but I know I'm not going to live very long and I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory, you know, and that's the plan. So um, it gets really dark and really twisted really quick. Um, other substances are introduced. You know, I projectile vomit. I'm obnoxious. I'm a mess when I'm drunk. If I introduce some other substances in there, I can maintain a little bit longer. You know, I can drink more. I can not be so out of control. I'm still real crazy and I'm doing real unpredictable stuff, but I'm not puking all over you. So um, uh, we were hanging out with a lot of people that I just didn't really know anything about and we were making a lot of plans that were really dark and scary and twisted and I'm driving around with a sawed off shotgun in my trunk and um, he and I were talking about, you know, this girl who had a safe in her closet and we could it seemed like there was a lot of money in that safe, and if we could figure out how to get into that safe, we could off her. And apparently, he was sleeping with her, and they were having the same conversation about what to do with me. And like these are the like, and these are normal conversations. Just this makes sense, you know. It's a wonder that I didn't, you know, get a DUI, kill somebody while driving actually kill somebody with a sawed-off shotgun. I mean, just why didn't any of those things happen? I don't know. Um, we, I came to, so that girl, um, who now has his fake name tattooed across the top of her back, just saying. Um, we got married and it's not even his name. I didn't find that stuff out until later. Um, <laughs> But we spent a lot of time at her, it was like a, con, like a, ta- a townhouse. Um, and so I come to one day and I'm like crouched down in the corner in one of her kids' rooms. And I don't know where anybody else is. I don't know where he is. I don't know where she is. I don't know where any of the people that have been partying with us are. But I'm like crouched in the corner and I come to like this and I'm scared out of my mind. I'm like, oh, oh my God, you know, like my heart is racing and I feel like I've just been, you know, running. And um, I'm scared, and I don't know what I'm scared of, but I'm terrified. And I call my brother Brandon, and I'm like, I need help. I just need help. And he was like, okay, come home. And I'm like, okay, come home. I, okay. And so I leave that condo, and I go back to my apartment, and I can't figure out how to just go home. I remember just standing there in my room, and I'm like, I can't figure out. Like, I can't put... Do I put stuff in a bag? What stuff do I put in a bag? Where's the bag? What do I, I don't even know how to like get myself from here to there. And what do I do with this stuff, you know? And um, so I'm trying to figure out how to get myself home, how to get some help. What does help look like? I don't know. And, uh, and my husband comes home and I drink again. And it's days later until I realize that I've even had that conversation with my brother. It like comes to me and I'm like, oh God, I've got to clean that up. I've got to, I've got to tell him I'm okay. Just kidding. (laughs) Everything's fine here. I don't know what that was about. Um, and so I tell my husband that I've had this conversation with my brother and he's like, yeah, but you do need help though. Like you should probably go to treatment. And I was like, you should go to treatment. (laughs) You're doing way worse stuff than I'm doing. (laughs) 
And um, so we come up with another plan that we're going to go to treatment together. We'll go to Tulsa and we'll see my family and let them know that we're okay. And then we'll go back to Las Vegas and we'll go to treatment together and we'll get better and we'll live happily ever after. And that's a much better plan than I have on my own. So we'll do that. But to get there, we don't have any money, so we're going to stop at the bank. (laughs) We're going to make one more withdrawal and just get enough money to get home to Tulsa. And um, so we have an argument on the way to the bank that day about how, you know, he's been the one going in and I've been the one driving the car. And that does not seem fair to him. And I decide in that moment that I don't need him one bit and I'll go in. And um, so I go in the bank and uh, I'm wearing, it's almost St. Patrick's Day. I met him January 2nd. We got married January 12th, and it's now almost St. Patrick's Day. So this is happening really fast. We did not have a long relationship. Um, But I I know it was almost St. Patrick's Day because I was wearing bright green tennis shoes and a green Celtics t-shirt. I'm like, holiday ready? You know, it's a big holiday. We're going to pre-gaming three or four days in advance and um my hair's dyed black um and I had aviator sunglasses on but they weren't very tinted so I like this is just how I walk in just I'm six feet tall and jet black hair and bright green t-shirt and tennis shoes and you know I'm just gonna push a note across the counter and thank you and head out and um We needed more than that. Like, that wasn't enough for everything that we needed to do that day. And so we went straight from there to another bank. So there's number four. And uh, then we went to the airport. And we bought two tickets on the next flight to Tulsa with cash. And we boarded a plane, and off we went. And we had a layover in Phoenix. And we had to change planes. And it was taking a really long time. So as we're going to get off the airplane into the air tunnel, it's filled with officers and I'm so confused I've never seen officers in an air tunnel before why would they be there what are they is somebody getting arrested are we on an episode of cops no idea until they're pushing me into the wall and frisking me and putting cuffs on me and escorting me away and I'm like oh we're done we're done okay cool we're done this is the end this is how it ends okay I'm done and we take uh we go to a um there's like a holding room thing in the airport and that's where we were like questioned and um we end up, I tell them everything. What do you want to know? How many Walmarts? Uh, you know, there's six in the Las Vegas metro area. There's four banks. There's a car. Like, what else do you want to know? Um, just everything. I'm done. I'm at the end. Here you go. And um, they were pretty grateful for all of that. <laughs> they didn't have to work real hard with me. And um, he was in a separate room from me, and he called my mom. And told her, you know, we're not, we're not going to make it. We've been arrested. 
and she was very concerned. And um, so she called my dad, and they haven't spoken in I don't know how long because they're divorced now. And she called my dad, and he immediately just, like, got in the car and drove west. And I don't think he even knew where he was going. But from that airport at, at Phoenix Air- Airport, we were taken to Maricopa County Jail. And <laughs> you've been there? Um, so Maricopa County Jail for, I don't know, the night or two. And then from there, roll up, let's go. We're going to Florence, Arizona to a federal holding facility. My dad was there. I get to Florence and I'm there for like a night or two and I'm detoxing. And I don't even know like what it means to detox. I don't know what's involved or what's gonna happen. Or I remember girls in my cell giving me sugar packets and telling me to eat them. And um, I don't know how many days I was there, but they, they called me out of my cell and said, I have a visitor. And I was like, who even knows I'm here? Um, where am I? And uh, so I go down to visitation and it's the glass pane with the phone on either side. And there's my dad. And I sit down and I pick up the phone and like, um, I haven't liked my dad a lot, you know, Um, and hearing you guys talk on the panels, Joanne. um, Seeing the look on his face as I screamed at him and told him, you know, you gotta get me a lawyer. (laughs) You don't know what I've done. Like, I'm never gonna get out of here. And I never cry when I speak, man. (laughs) Stinking Marnie, making me speak on Sunday morning. Um, I'm so tired. (laughs) (laughs) The look on my dad's face, you know, and um, and I'm just like. You don't understand. You got to get me out of here. You got to do anything. And my dad's just like, like he can't believe it. And um, it was like a two-week process until I was in front of a judge for. Um, it's, I had like no clue what the justice system looks like. I, you know, wasn't even really aware that bank robbery is federal. Um, <laughs> just ignorant of everything. So we're eventually transported back to. Um, Las Vegas and put in front of a federal, like the federal court there in Las Vegas, put in front of a judge for a release uh, bond hearing. A bond, thank you, my fellow criminal. (laughs) Both of my parents are there, and it's the first time that I've seen them together since sometime before they divorced. They had a really unhappy marriage for a lot of years, and so to see them in the courtroom together was weird standing right by each other. And um, my mom signed a personal recognizance bond. She was gonna take me into her care. I was gonna go live with her. She signed that she will personally ensure that, uh, the way I understood it is, she's gonna ensure that I show up for all of my court dates um, or something's gonna happen to her, you know? They put me, um, they gave me some jewelry on my ankle and, that I was real proud of for a while. And um, I was told that I needed uh, substance abuse treatment and mental health counseling 
and uh, I needed to get a job, and I needed to go to school, and I needed to just go clean yourself up, you know, and um, we'll see you at your court date. And uh, I told both of my parents, you've got to get me a lawyer. You've got to get me a lawyer, and you've got to get him a lawyer. He has nobody. I'm all he's got. Get him a lawyer, you know? I love him. He's my husband. And um, I was just terrible to my parents. Um, I got a public defender. And... You know, she was like, just go do the best you can. They're going to give you enough rope to hang yourself. Don't hang yourself. And I was like, okay, I can do this. I can do this. I'm going to go do everything they asked me to do. So I go to 12 and 12 in Tulsa. This is my uh, substance abuse treatment and probably mental health all rolled into one. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to 12 and 12. And the intake counselor there told me, um, we think you should come inpatient. And I'm like, nope. Nope, I don't need inpatient. That's way too much. Um, something else. Something else. Don't, I can't stay here. I just got out of jail. <laughs> um, somehow we agree on in, intensive outpatient counseling, three nights a week, one hour a night, and then one 12-step meeting. Get a paper signed. Okay, I can do that. Um, I was told to go enroll in school. You know, go... Go get, start a degree, you know, go to TCC, just go try, go to class, go do something with yourself. And I went downtown um, to TCC to, to enroll. I don't even know, like I'm in my car and I'm like, I'm just going to go in the building. I'm just going to go in the building and I'm just going to tell them I need to enroll. And I couldn't even walk in. I circled the building a few times because I felt like everybody in there knows what they're doing. And I don't. And, um, and I just need to get out of trouble anyway. I don't want to go to class. I don't want a textbook. Um, I just want to get out of trouble so bad. I don't want this to be my life, you know. I don't know what I want my life to be, but it can't be this. And um, I get a job back at the hotel that I was working at, and uh, I start going to a 12-step meeting there at 12 and 12, and I'm getting a paper signed. And I don't even remember what that was like. I have, like, brief flashes of memory of, you know, being in a room and then meeting a guy and getting some pills from him. And um, I'm working at the hotel that I worked at before I moved to Las Vegas. And I'm trying, but not really, you know? And I'm complaining a lot to anybody that'll listen. And I'm drinking, but my probation officer told me, don't drink to excess. You know, alcohol is legal, but don't drink to excess. No illegal drugs, none of that, you know. And I'm like, done. I'll be good, you know. I will have a glass of wine with dinner and no more. Maybe a beer or two. That's all I'm going to drink. And um, so I'm drinking, and I'm trying to do these things. You know, I'm enrolled in school, but I never went, I don't even remember how I got enrolled, but I had, I had a textbook for chemical dependency. I was going to, I was going to be a chemical dependency counselor. (laughs) And I had a book, I had a textbook in my room that never got opened. And, um, I had a job. And um, I'm going to one 12-step meeting a week. I'm going to these counseling sessions. I'm doing whatever I can do. And um, I'm complaining to everybody that will listen about my life. And at one point, I'm sitting in the HR director's office at work. Um, 
you know, with my ankle monitor on, with my hotel uniform on, and I'm just crying about something. And he was like, do you want to go to a meeting? And I'm like, God, those meetings, no. I've already been to one this week. I don't want to go to a meeting. And uh, he's like, it's almost noon. Come on, let's go to this meeting. And he took me to the unanimity club right across the street. And that was the first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous that I ever walked into. It was the ODAT noontime um, meeting. And it was a very different vibe from the 12-step meeting that I had been going to. And I wasn't really sure I wanted what was going on in that room, but I was like, okay, can you sign this for next week? Because this is my second meeting this week. Like, I <laughs> But, the, you know, I do remember that the people in there were very old and very kind and very welcoming, and I didn't want any of that. Um, don't hug me. Don't look at me. I'm not new. No, I'm good. And um, anyway, so I started going to that meeting once a week. They meet every day, but I went once a week. And they signed my paper for me. You could put the paper in the basket and they'd pass it. And um, They were just so kind. You know, nobody, um, nobody was mean. Nobody, you know, ran me off. Or um, They just let me sit. And they let me be disruptive. They let me come in late. They let me leave early. They let me, you know, they just let me be. Like, that girl is not even sober. You know, just keep coming back. And... Um, so this process went on for 16 months. I mean, the pretrial process is just long. They just kept dragging it out and dragging it out and dragging it out. And uh, I keep drinking and drinking and drinking. And I am also peeing in a cup whenever it's an orange day. And I start failing UAs. And I am appalled. <laughs> it's impossible that I failed a UA because I did that right after I took the last UA and it should be out of my system by now. But it's obviously a bad batch of test strips and I think you should get a new box. You know, test me now, I'll test clean. And I didn't test clean. And uh, I went, I had to go, I had to go for sentencing. They had to bump up my sentencing date because I can't um, pass my UAs anymore. I'm no longer compliant with the terms. And um, so I go before the judge. My mom flew with me, you know, my little escort to Las Vegas to go before the federal judge. And um, I'm there for sentencing. And the judge uh, sentenced me to two years in a federal prison, which is it's not that bad. You know, it's better than I was expecting. And um, but my mom was standing behind me in the courtroom and the sound that came out of her is something that I can't replicate, you know? I can't, it's something between a scream and a cry. It's just a noise, you know, that came out of her. And um, I'll hear that for the rest of my life. I've made my amends to my mom and we have a really good relationship. She lives in Tulsa now. Um, she got my kids on Friday so that I could come here and be with you guys. Um, but, you know, I'm very aware of the things that I did to my parents. I'm aware of who my alcoholism fell on because I thought it was only me. I'm not hurting anybody else. If you guys would just leave me alone, I'd be fine. 
I really just need to get out of trouble. I just need to finish doing what they're asking me to do, jump through their little hoops, and go on my way, and I'm going to be fine. And um, it's not fine, but uh, so I uh, went to prison in Fort Worth, Texas at FMC Carswell. Went and did my time. 85% is all you got to do for federal, so I was out in 20 months. And um, my mom came every Saturday for visitation. And um, she'd make the drive, and she'd go through the process of getting into a federal prison, and I would go through the process of getting down to visitation, and I would complain to her for like, I don't know how many hours, how she would stay there as long as she could. And um, I'm gonna drink some water. Um, You know, I just cared about whether or not she had quarters for the vending machine. And um, I gained like 70 pounds in prison, too. I ate up that vending machine. (laughs) I was not wanting for anything in there, but I'm like, do you have the quarters? (laughs) I need some Skittles. Um, And I would just complain to her, you know, and just talk about all kinds of stuff. And and she'd just sit there with me, and she'd come back every week. And... um, She met somebody um, in Texas, and she uh, moved in with him while I was in prison, and they waited until I got out to get married. And um, so I got to be there for her wedding. And um, that was in April of 2009, and um, I wanted her to have champagne. It's like a living room wedding. This is my mom's third marriage, and she's not worried about it one bit. Um, she just loves him, and, you know, they've found each other, and um, they just wanted their kids present for their wedding. I want her to have champagne, because how are you going to get married if you don't have champagne? And um, everybody was really obliging, you know. They, like, hold up their little paper cups, and we toast the happy couple. And um, I go take all of the – I'm cleaning up. I'm just cleaning up. And I go take all those cups to my mom's kitchen and drink them all at the sink, you know. And um, – so I'm just, I'm drunk for, you know, the next several months, um, but now I'm in Corsicana, Texas, <laughs> and, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know you know, um, Corsicana is like right between Bryan and Dallas, um, it's on your way to Houston, um, it's very small, you'll blink and you'll miss it, uh, there's a good bakery, there's one AA meeting. And I'm, I'm on probation now. I've got a new ankle monitor. I've got a new officer to report to. I've got, I've got more UAs to give and more 12-step meetings to attend. And so I'm going to the one and only AA meeting that exists in Corsicana, Texas. And it is full of old men. They're all smoking. There's a cloud of cigarette smoke hanging just about a foot above the table. And I'm pretty sure all they're talking about is their war stories you know they're just telling about the good old days when they were drinking and I'm going to more intensive outpatient counseling and I'm telling the counselor how bad that meeting makes me want to drink it's terrible that's a terrible meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous in my mind you know my perception is this is the worst meeting that exists and this counselor would tell me you know I don't know anything about that meeting uh, but I do know that there's one in Ennis Texas it's 20 minutes up the highway and, um, you know, here's where it is, and here's when they meet, and you should go to that one. And I'm 
again, I'm appalled that anyone would drive 20 minutes to go to an AA meeting. I don't need to do that. You know, our book talks about being willing to go to any lengths, and I was not. I was also still drinking. I just needed to go to that meeting to get a paper signed. I don't need to go to Ennis to get a paper signed. I will get it signed at the terrible Corsicana by the old men who are probably 30, but you know, <laughs> they looked so old to me. Um, so this counselor um, talked about prayer. She would talk about all kinds of things. Um, she's probably just trying to occupy us, you know, three nights a week, and we're all super uninterested. To, there was a heroin junkie that would always sit next to me, and he was so cute. And I was way more interested in him and his recovery than I was in what she was saying. But there was one time that she talked about um, prayer, and I don't know why she was talking about prayer, but she was comparing it to energy, and she. I, I cannot replicate the way that she gave this talk to us, but she was talking about energy can neither be created nor destroyed, and your thoughts are just energy because your brain makes energy, the little synapses and the neurons, whatever, and she's, you know, talking about it. And um, so if your brain is making your thoughts, that's energy. And a prayer is just a thought. It's just energy that you're putting out into the universe, you know? And so that energy has got to go somewhere. And I was like, oh. Like, I've never heard prayer. I've heard a lot about prayer in church and from my dad and from my grandparents. And my grandmother was so worried about my eternal soul. And, you know, it never occurred to me that, you know, it's just a thought. It's just a, you know, some energy that I'm putting out into the universe. And for whatever reason, that, like, hit me so hard that day that it made me just a little bit willing, just a little bit like, okay, maybe there's something to that. I don't know anything about AA or, you know, sobriety, but I'm a little bit willing. I'm a little bit interested in what that is. And um, I, on August 8th of 2009, I came to for the last time you know I didn't take a drink that day I had been to a Motley Crue concert the night before um, with some people that you know were just willing to hang out with me for the night and um, I didn't get to oblivion that night you know I was very aware of myself I was very aware when I was driving home on the highway of how bad I wanted to run my truck off the highway after a night of drinking you know, I'm still with me. And I came to the next morning, and that meeting that that counselor had mentioned in Ennis, Texas, was the only thing on my mind. And um, so I got out my phone, and I looked, and they were meeting that day. And so I was like, okay, I'll go. I'll go to Ennis, Texas. And I walked into that meeting, and it could have been identical to the one in Corsicana that I had been getting a paper signed at all this time, but I knew something was different and I know today that it was me I was a little bit willing and I walked up to a woman and I asked her to sponsor me and she told me to get a book and we got to work and we started working the steps um, I got through steps one two and three and I was ready to move around um, I, I couldn't be in Texas any longer um, I decided that I needed to go back to Tulsa and I convinced my mom 
and I convinced my stepdad and my probation officer and my job and then I went and talked to the sponsor and she was like well that's fine but you know you're gonna get a sponsor there in Tulsa and I want you to call me until you do so I moved up to Tulsa and I started going back to that new meeting at Unanimity Club and um, I didn't think it was necessary to get a sponsor in Tulsa. I was just gonna keep calling her until I didn't have to go to these meetings anymore, until I got enough of those papers signed that I was done. And they gave me my certificate and I graduated. Um, and they cut the ankle monitor off and whatever. So until I, you know, I, I heard a woman speak. And her name was Susan. And she spoke and I heard her, I heard me through her. I related to the way that she felt when she talked about, you know, the things that alcoholic women do when we're out there. I knew what she was talking about and I knew that she knew the way that I had been living and the things that I had been doing. And I went up to her after that meeting and I, you know, shook her hand, hugged her like I saw everybody else do. I didn't know that you're supposed to do that, you know, but I saw everybody else do it. And so I'm like, okay, it's my turn. And I hug her and I'm like, will you sponsor me? And she said, yes. And, you know, my experience is everybody has always said yes to me. I've asked a lot of women to sponsor me. And they, you know, they never say, mm, no, you need to go find somebody else. You know, <laughs> they just say yes, even if they don't like us. Right, Mickey? <laughs> um, so she said yes. And I got to call Deborah in Ennis and tell her I found a sponsor here. And I got to work with that sponsor. And, um got through the steps with Sue. And, you know, we would meet at first watch for breakfast and we would go over my steps and, you know, she'd say, call me and be at the meeting. And <clears throat> um, I met, I was set up on a blind date early in sobriety and I went and uh, <laughs> it ended well for me. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of situations where that doesn't end very well, but, um, I met somebody and uh, he was really cute and he was a really low bottom <laughs> drunk. So he, we meet at Starbucks and he um, is telling me like, you know, we have like some light conversation and then he's like, well, you know, I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And what that means is um, I'm at my home group this night and this night and I'm at this men's conference this weekend and this weekend and I'm here and I'm here. And if you're going to date me, you're going to have to be OK with that. And I'm like, what? <laughs> have, have you seen my ankle monitor? <laughs> I'm an alcoholic too and I'm you know I've got a sponsor and I've got a home group and you're gonna have to be okay with that and you're gonna have to meet my probation officer and, um, he like so like his story starts spilling out and my story starts spilling out and he's like you know I've been homeless off and on for the last 10 years and I'm like yeah I just got out of federal prison I'm a bank robber We have been together ever since. <laughs> we have two beautiful children who have never seen either of us drink. We have somehow, through good sponsorship, been able to maintain a marriage and a home and two children and jobs and all of that. You know, and it's, it's really a testament to this program because we would have torn each other apart. And I tried to a few times. Um, 
But anyway, I tell that story because when I met him and he said, I'm at my home group this night and this night, I'm like, well, what's that like? You know, you go to night meetings? What are those? And um, so I start following him. I got to follow him where he's going. I got to (laughs) see, you know, who are you sitting with? And we're walking into the meeting at his home group and I'm trying to hold his hand and he's like swatting my hand away. And I'm like, who is she? find out which one it is you know and he was like no where am I spitting um (laughs) anyway um he was like that's not what we're here for you know I'm not at a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous to be wrapped around you know my significant other I'm here to help somebody else and I'm like oh shit okay (laughs) oh um because I'm here to like sit in your lap Look what sobriety has given me. Um, So I walk into his home group and I'm just seeing something different. You know, he took me to meet his sponsor at his sponsor's house with his sponsor's wife and three children and other people that his sponsor sponsors and people that his sponsor's wife sponsors. And they're like doing Alcoholics Anonymous everywhere. They're living the program, you know? And I, I had been like doing it at arm's length. I'm dancing around the outside. I just need my paper signed. I don't come early. I don't stay late. I don't want you to hug me. I don't want to say your prayer. I don't want your phone number. What are we gonna talk about? <laughs> there was a girl that would text me she got my phone number, and she would text me every morning, good morning, beautiful. And I'm like, is she hitting on me? <laughs> it's okay, but like, every morning. I didn't understand. Like, she's reaching out and being kind, and I'm like, so if you're new and you've done that you know like I tell the girls that I sponsor I'm like it's okay to say like my sponsor is making me pick up the phone how was your day you know because we're all awkward like that like I didn't get it I didn't get why you were being nice to me why are you being nice to me do you do you need something are you trying to get something so anyway um thank god for my sponsor um from that day From August 8th of 2009 to this, I've not found it necessary to take another drink of alcohol and change the way that I feel. Through that process of getting introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous being done a different way than I had been introduced to before, I found a new sponsor and I got really busy in Alcoholics Anonymous, first with the fellowship and then with a deeper experience with a God of my understanding. I got to a point where I no longer bristled with antagonism when people talked about God, when people prayed and said things like Jesus in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, how dare you, you know? I used to be bothered by your understanding of God because I didn't have one. And today I'm okay. God just is for me. God has done for me what I can't do for myself and I can't explain how except that I took actions that I didn't believe in and I didn't understand and I just kept showing up when I didn't know why and I didn't want to 
I've definitely not wanted to a lot over the years. There's been several times in sobriety where I've wanted to leave. I know why women leave, Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm so grateful for our first panelists yesterday that were 20 plus all the way to 41 years of sobriety. Because I need to see that. I need to see you guys stay. Because I've wanted to leave. Alcoholics Anonymous has given me everything good and worthwhile in my life. And I will just drop it and walk away because I am selfish and self-centered and I am full of self-will. And my big character defect is control. And if it's my will, it's going to get done. And um, I might step on your toes, you know. Um, I'm really, really grateful for um, allowing myself to be actively sponsored today and take those defects to my sponsor and share those with the other women around me. If you don't have some friends, I hope you've come away from this weekend with some friends in sobriety. I surround myself with women of substance, with women who are armed with the facts about themselves, with women who are actively helping others. And because of their example, it makes it a lot easier for me to do the same. Because left to my own devices, I just, I find it hard to remember to care about you. <laughs> I've got to be shown over and over again how to care about you and how to take care of me so that I can show up for you. You know, I need all of you. I need every woman in this room. I'm so grateful for you guys. Thank you for letting me be your speaker this weekend. I'm <laughs>